Are you looking to reach your full potential and achieve success in business and in life? Want only tried and tested guidance from people who have truly made an impact? You have come to the right place. Welcome to Five Questions with Dan Shabell. New York Times bestselling author Dan Shabell distills the most actionable and tangible advice from a variety of world-class humans, including entrepreneurs, authors, Olympians, politicians, billionaires, Nobel Prize winners, TED speakers, celebrities, astronauts, and more. Inspirational guidance, practical advice, and concrete solutions. Our Power Chat starts now. Welcome to the 89th episode of the Five Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Shawbell. My goal is to curate the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is politician, lawyer, entrepreneur, and author Stacey Abrams. Born in Madison, Wisconsin, Stacey grew up with five other siblings in Atlanta. As a teenager, she was hired as a typist for a congressional campaign and then was hired as a speechwriter. She studied political science and economics at Spelman College, public policy at the University of Texas at Austin's LBJ School of Public Affairs and received her Juris Doctor from Yale Law School. Upon graduation, Stacy was a tax attorney at Georgia Law Firm Sutherland, Asbill, and Brennan. Starting in 2007, she served in the Georgia House of Representatives before resigning in 2017 to run in the gubernatorial election where she became the first African-American female majority gubernatorial nominee in the United States. Then in 2019, Stacy became the first African-American woman to deliver a response to the State of the Union address. More recently, she is the founder of Fair Fight Action and Fair Count, which fight for fair elections and for a fair count in the U.S. Census. Stacy's new book, Our Time Is Now, and her upcoming documentary both focus on voter suppression, which is part of what we talk about in this podcast episode. Stacey, you strike me as an optimist despite the opposition you've endured championing the policies that you deeply believe in. Can you offer any inspiration and advice to those who are struggling right now, suffering from unemployment, illness, mental health issues, racism, or any other issues? I don't actually consider myself an optimist because I know too much about what happens. I'm more of an ameliorist, and that is I believe that the glass is half full, it's just probably poisoned, and our job is to find the antidote. So my commitment to the work is, no matter what the challenges that we face, and they are many and they are grave and they are real, but there are solutions. And our responsibility is to use our experiences, dark or otherwise, to try to chart the path to success. And that means doing the work. You know, I didn't win my election, but instead of cowering or waiting for another chance to run, I started organizations to tackle the issues that I saw. And when we think about what's happening in our country today, when we think about the economic collapse, the public health crisis, the systemic inequities and systematic racism, the solutions are always going to be harder than they should be. It should be a magic pill that solves them. But the reason I believe in voting is because I know that progress happens. It happens slowly. It's plotting. It's jerky. And we face setbacks. But I stand in the space where I couldn't have been had there not been people who were willing to work for me. That leads perfectly into the next question. Over the past month, we've witnessed the LGBTQ plus and African-American communities protest systemic and perpetual social, political, and economic injustice with some positive outcomes for both groups. What tangible actions can both institutions and individuals take to support these suppressed communities above and beyond just posting activist content on social media? 
I, I would add to that collection, the Black community, the LGBTQ plus community, also the dreamers and those who face the challenges of immigration in a nation with a broken system. Our responsibility, and I, I know it sounds uh, repetitive, but the reason we have gotten some of the solutions that we've seen is voting. Voting is not a panacea. It does not solve every problem, but it is the power we have in a democracy to elect people who understand our needs and can speak for them. And so what I want people to do is to hold their organizations and institutions accountable, call out racism and homophobia and, and discrimination where they see it. Ask questions about how much people make, especially if you work in a space that you know often relies on immigrant labor. And then do the work of voting for people who tell you what they're going to do. If they don't have an answer, that means they haven't thought about it or they're planning to lie to you. So do the work of holding them accountable and pushing for change. Excellent response. And it leads perfectly into what I want to talk to you most about because it's a huge platform of yours. You've been on TV talking about voter suppression and the right to vote is essential to America's democracy. How did your loss during the 2018 Georgia election inspire you to be an advocate for voter protections? And what steps will you take to ensure there's election integrity for future races? I began my work in voter suppression and voter protection when I was a teenager. At the time, it was about expanding the right to vote through voter registration. I was a Salzburg Fellow on international civic engagement for young people. And so this has been a lifelong endeavor for me. But what we know happened in 2013 was the evisceration of the Voting Rights Act. What that means is that in 2020, we are fighting back against 21st century voter suppression that looks like nothing we've seen before because it's embedded in the rules and it's hidden from view because it doesn't come with the glaring light of racism on top of it. But what we know it does is affect almost every community that needs to see progress. That means we need mail-in ballots in every single state scaled to the request level. And that's what we are missing right now. We need in-person voting because not everyone wants to or can vote by mail. We have a number of people like the disabled, those who have language barriers, those who are displaced or homeless, and those who simply don't trust the system or the system didn't work for them who need to be able to come and vote. That means we need the HEROES Act to pass the Senate, which will put $3.6 billion into our system and make certain that everyone who wants to vote in 2020 who's eligible can do so. Well said. And course, extremely important. And switching gears a little bit, what people might not know about you is aside from being a politician and a lawyer, you're also a novelist and entrepreneur as the author of eight romance novels and the founder of Now Corp and Nourish Inc. What role have these pursuits played in your career and life goals? I grew up in a working class family that was working poor most of the time. I didn't like it. Uh, I had parents who taught us that we not only should embrace where we are, but we should envision where we can be. And so every pursuit that I have been privileged to engage in has been about believing that I'm capable of doing more. And that more importantly, when I get to do those things, my responsibility is to make sure others can. So I started companies to solve problems that I saw around me. Now account was created because my business partner and I couldn't get capital because we were women and I was a person of color. And so we solved that problem for women owned businesses, for minority owned businesses, and we let other folks come in. I've done everything I can to make certain that my representation of who I am and what I want is more than just about me. I wrote romance novels that starred black characters who got to be in extraordinary adventures because I didn't get to see that when I was growing up. For me, my passion is about not only doing good, but doing well and making sure those two things come together in everything I try. What's your best piece of career advice? Do not edit your ambitions. 
too often we're told to scale down, to scale back, to look for someone who's done it. And if it hasn't been done, it probably can't be done. I don't believe that. My ambition is to serve. And my responsibility is always to find the best place to stand to do that work. And if it doesn't work out the way I want, it's not an excuse to sit down. It's a clarion call to try to find something else. I didn't become governor, so I started Fair Fight, Fair Count, and the Southern Economic Advancement Project. And when that work is done, I'm going to find something new. I will never edit my ambitions, and no one else should either. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Stacy. To follow her journey, you can read her book, Our Time Is Now, and find her on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where she shares her political discussions, promotes key issues, travels, appearances, and stories from her constituents. We hope you enjoyed today's show and the amazing advice our guests provided. Remember that you can only benefit from advice if you act on it. Before you do, we would appreciate your feedback in the form of a review. You can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or a podcatcher of your choice. Your feedback would be very much appreciated. Head over to danshawbell.com slash review now.